Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world, Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with my co-host Robert. Why, hello there. We are back and uh, super excited. It's Nova Week. Uh, Nova is um, near and dear to my heart, as is one of the first super majors I ever went to. I've been to several Games Workshop Games days. This was a very different experience. And uh, that's kind of the whole reason when I moved to Arizona, I wanted to recreate that here. And um, you can see what that blossomed into as uh, some new people have taken the reins to grow it further. we got Smite Club open next weekend, so we'll be there all week um, providing coverage for that. But uh, let's talk about the originator. And you'll, as we get into the Nova coverage, a lot of the things we know today as part of the GW Open were the uh, originated at the Nova Open. So very excited. Uh, there once was a time in fifth edition, there were only four super majors, uh, Depticon, Nova, Bay Area Open, and WarGamesCon. Those of you who are like, what is that? Uh, it's kind of shrunk down in size as other ones have taken their, their mantle. But that was uh, Bell of Lost Souls GT. That was always those were the big four, and if you could win those, yeah, three out of those four, you were considered the national champion because we did not have a unified ranking system like we do now, like the ITC. So what you just did, Eric, is Pepperidge Farm remembers and listed off several different memes worth of quality. Here we try to do that. That's quick and to the point, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I can drone on and on. Uh, I've been to Nova four times now and uh, loved every time I went. And uh, But this is going to be very interesting. This is kind of like, um, so big moment outside of 40K here in Casa de la Torraine. Um, my daughter has been visiting colleges. She's a senior in high school. And as a, um, this happened to me in the area, my wife decided to check, oh, why don't you go to her alma mater? You probably won't like it. Well, she loved it. But it was interesting to hear how much the campus has changed in the umpteen thousand years since we attended together. So this is, Nova's very much the same as that. They're in a new venue, new head judges. The whole, I looked at the judging crew and the primer package. Totally new guys. I don't know any of those guys. Um, obviously, they're using GW missions back in the day when, uh, each GT or Super Major came up with their own mission pack because nobody ran book missions from Games Workshop. So it's going to—it's very interesting to see how much the uh, the hobby has come around, and uh, just in a short amount of time. So look forward to that coverage. But um, one of the cool things about these Super Majors, GW likes to show off new models. Indeed. Now. Some of these were already expected, and it was just a tick-tock, 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 wait kind of thing. But they already did the Tyranid preview at another big event, so the other half was Space Marines. And half of this stuff was kind of like, oh, yeah, no, it's finally coming out separately, blah, 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 blah. And then there were capes. <laughs> lots and lots of capes. <laughs> Indeed. So... Uh, it yeah, as a non-space marine player, I kind of kind of went. I guess this is a big deal. Um, you know, Terminator, Chaplin, um, intercessors with jump packs. We've been hearing rumors about them since probably before Christmas of, of 2022. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like okay, these are kind of neat. Do you see anything particularly game breaking in what they release, or is this kind of just resculpt land? Well, I mean. There's new scouts, and we know scouts are just going to break the game entirely because they're going to be five points a model, and they're going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the 
the Terminators are probably something that a lot of people were going to pick up anyway, because there's a lot of different ways to build out that. And the Terminator Chaplain actually legitimately looks scary. <laughs> the right. Otherwise, like there's not a whole bunch in the Space Marine line that looks super terrifying in a, in a metagame kind of standpoint, because of the fact that we... We don't know what all of their different detachments are going to do in their codex. Whereas if you've also been paying attention to outside, well, third-party sources, the Embargo Day for the Tyranid reviews has been lifted. So big channels like Tabletop Tactics, Auspex Tactics, and Mini Wargaming have all done their reviews of the Tyranid Codex, which gives us a much bigger picture of what the new hive mind is going to do to people in all six flavors. So I've not had a chance to see any of these breakdowns. So the first thing that I saw when I saw the preview codex is coming out. Okay. We knew we were going to get new detachments. Each attachment is its own beast. And I just was, you know, take us back to just a year ago or something. So another pepperidge farm remembers the nightmare that was, the Crusher Stampede. Not only was it just broken, the hardest part was, A, the rules came out in the White Dwarf that sold out in seconds. Two, it was in addition to any rules in the Tyranid Codex. So not only did you get the four or five additional stratagems and bonuses, you could also latch on whatever high fleet you wanted. And um, I think it was Onslaught was a, the stratagem where it allowed you to keep moving after you've fought in combat. Yep. It just became butt broken and uh, made matters worse was um, as a TO, if you run enough events, uh, you don't get free codices, but you do at least get the codes for the app. They were running way behind. So I not only did not have the White Dwarf or Starster Stampede, I didn't even have the codex, the Tyranid codex in hand. So I was like, oh my God. How so I had to like borrow a friends for that and kind of. Made fo- made, yeah, it looked terrible just with photocopies and whatnot, trying to officiate this as there was about four of those in the tournament I was judging that weekend. I was like, ah! So once I heard that when 10th edition's coming out, all the rules will be on one page and there, will, there won't be any cross-pollination, I was like, hallelujah, this will never happen again. So I thought that'd be great. But then when I heard they're reprinting the data slate cards, I kind of went, oh, how much are those going to change for between index and codex well from the reviews that have kind of popped up so far a lot of the stuff that happened here and is from the index to the codex cards is that points increases are have been applied points increases and decreases have been applied to certain units some abilities have been changed minorly some abilities have been removed entirely like one crazy one was the um, the tyrannocyte. Well, oh, no, not the tyrannocyte, the sporocyst, the the fortification one. That okay. it got to like Overwatch four times a phase or something like that in the index or something. Um, now it got changed to Overwatch for free. The the Turvagon, for instance, used to just naturally reduce damage by one, making it super durable. Now that got changed to it gets one free blank of damage. Oh, okay. I like that. Which is still really powerful, but not as consistent because it can be baited out by other things. Right. Um, But yeah, a lot of 
cha slight changes kind of here and there. S some major changes are like Ripper Swarms. You can now take them as a base, of, as like a unit of one base. Oh. Instead of a unit of three. I'm and I want like... to guess you how cheap they are, Eric. I'm going to say seven points. Like two and a half times that, but yeah, they're 15 points a base. Are you kidding? No. Wow. Okay. Do they have like 70 attacks? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're f one five points. So they also get added a keyword, which is relevant to one of the detachments. The, the one that's probably most interesting is the one called the Harvester Detachment, which mainly focuses on the the big eat bugs or the weird artillery bugs. So like the horror specs, the psychophage, mm -hmm. the bio and the pyrovores. It also includes ripper swarms because they have the correct keyword. Interesting. Okay. So but, that might be your action monkey when you have all these big guys. Yep. Because they're OC zero, they literally get squished like bugs. But the thing about the detachment that I remember vividly is that when one of your specific keyword units dies your entire army gets plus one to wound the thing that killed it oh don't kill the uh, swarms then <laughs> that I, I that's the wording i vaguely remember i'll have to go find a review and re-listen to it because that does sound a little bonkers but it's a oh hey your knight blew up my horror specs well now everything gets plus one to wound against that knight that has that keyword but yeah it's there's a lot of flavor in the detachments i th between interesting and trouble the interesting one is the harvester the troubling one is probably going to be the synapse-based one. Because the synapse-based one skews you into taking really tanky things like the Norn Emissary that is toughness 11, can jump up to OC 15 and get a 5 out feel no pain. Yeah, I like the OCA 15 ability. You know, I, I must hold this objective. I will hold this objective. <laughs> so the, the way that works is the five foot feel no pain is attached to that OC 15. So it's you pick an objective. As long as the Norn Emissary is on that objective specifically, they have a five foot feel no pain and they're OC 15. Yeah. And when you think about just how much OC 15 is, so a... Five man squad of troops is only OC ten, so there's a couple out there that are OC three that that only ties you. So yeah, you got to get like two or three units on there to steal away from that guy, and of course survive if it doesn't hit you back. So, mm -hmm. but the uh, the other side of the coin is to be more aggressive, where it's you pick one unit for each Norn emissary or Norn assimilator individually and they get like full rerolls to hit and wound against that target oh that can get very powerful very quick hmm. so the norn emissary gets uh oath of moment 
Interesting. Okay. Norn emissary or the Norn alight, the emissary or the assimilator. So both versions of the kit. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, the reason why I see it as kind of being a problem with the emissary, the emissary is like two hundred and fifteen or two hundred and fifty points or something like that. It's a chunk of change, but the mm-hmm. assimilator is three hundred and five. The emissary gets a four plus invulnerable save, and the yeah, other one the doesn't. One, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, the psycho one gets an invuln, but the other one doesn't. Yeah. And it's interesting because we've already seen, like from demon lists, you know, the willingness to play with three or four greater demons. It's quite possible you could easily see three of these on the table with like a hive tyrant or something like that. Yeah, no, I had it up off the top of my head, but it's just like, oh, it's, that could work out. So, but yeah, needless to say, with the way things are kind of shaking out, the marines get new models. We'll have to see what their detachments can do to see if they can shake up everything because the Tyranid ones can definitely shake things up. But the, the fact that they are still happening to explore them from the get go means that people are going to be testing it out like art of war and tabletop tactics and stuff. I just know I'm probably going to end up playing crusher stampede and just go <laughs> big monsters. Yeah, it's like big monsters. One thing I was curious about: Did they bring in a separate costs for war gear? Are we still getting? Here's the cost of the box. <laughs> the cost of the box is any models, any pieces that come in the box. It's it's that's what it costs. It is very much still that. So it's the points costs are like taking the the, 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 the I can English today, the termagants. For instance, their new box gives you all their new weapons. And on their data sheet, it now specifies that for every 10 models, you get one of each of the special weapons. Okay. So along with changing their flesh borers into devourers or whatever, you now get the like the rifle, the, the flamer, the, and the missile launcher. And then once you jump up to 20, you now have two of each of those. Interesting. Okay. So they haven't got back to the rifles five points, whereas everything else is free or something like that. Okay. Yeah. The, But that's basically, I think we're kind of stuck with this points are also power level mentality for a while until they decide to go, yeah, no, everything costs more now. <laughs> and they start taxing us again for guns can see that uh supposedly the balance data slate is right around the corner we'll see what happens after this recording but um but i've heard yeah some of the uh the non-disclosure has not been lifted on it that's all i know so we'll see what happens yeah i'm actually double checking the most recent preview article and it's mainly talking about all of their other stuff. So there's no mention of the balanced data slate in here just yet. Just yet. Yeah. I figured this much. Uh, trying to remember what else other nifty previews, um, a couple of the other game systems. I was kind of like, Ooh, that could be a neat conversion here and a neat conversion there. 
You stay away uh, from we, my gorgers, aren't you? Yeah, so you be pretty. Uh, I love the terrain piece, though. It's like a mall pit or whatever it's called. Yeah, the mall pit. That thing looked awesome. But yeah, tell tell us about the the gorgers. So for those of you that dabble in Age of Sigmar and have heard me, you've probably heard me chat about it on a couple episodes. The only army that I ever choose to play in that game is ogres, because having a whole bunch of fat dudes walk up to you and hit you on the head is funny as funny as crap um the only model that hasn't been updated for that line in a long time was the gorgers which effectively is an ogre who can never stop being hungry so they become skinny and they dislocate their jaw so that way they can continuously eat things (laughs) so for war cry they showed off a new ogre war band that has the new gorgers and eric made a good point they could be really really good looking grotesques because they all come on like 50 millimeter bases <laughs> and they're just massive <laughs> yeah they look pretty cool so that was pretty neat the maw pit is like basically picture like a, a like a large jaw of a skeleton serving as a bridge over the sarlacc pit from return of the jedi that thing looks really cool it was like okay I can use that for terrain. That's pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, some of the other fun things that were revealed. I know this is not a big thing for Eric, but the new, the old world mini, um, Elise Duchard. <sighs> really Sorry. pretty lady on a unicorn. That's as much as I'm going to say about that, because that's going to trigger Eric into a rant. It's not. I know she's a very popular character from the series, but I'll just like, uh, Okay. And then I think we can address the big purple snake elephant in the room. I was waiting for that. So, yeah, everyone's super excited. It was weird how they did this. I I cannot describe just how awkward it felt when this thing was released. So, yeah, there is... We we have Magnus, we have Mortarian, we have Angron. Do we have Fulcrum yet? (laughs) Sort of. Yeah, the... Very much like they did Horus Ascended as a separate model, because in the Horus Heresy, he has two stat lines and two different point costs, but he only had one model. So they released a Horus Ascended model, which is absolutely massive compared to his normal mini. Um, They basically did the same thing, where they have Fulgrim Transfigured. So this is immediately after he turns himself into a Slanesh Demon Prince. Snake body, big wings, extra arms in the lot. It is a gorgeous model. It is made out of resin. And it only has rules of the Horus Heresy. They were very quick to point that out. And it's just almost like... Oh. <laughs> You're just like, oh. Now, so. I will say this. Depending on his base size, if it is the same size as something like a Demon Prince, or I think his base is like an 80 to 100 millimeter, there's an argument that you could just sit there and go, yeah, dude, <laughs> let, let me use Fulgrim, man. He's a stand-in for a war dog, or he's a stand-in for some other Slanesh demon. Just let me use him. Yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be the case. It's one thing that's been bizarre uh, I don't know whether it's a supply chain issue or what's going on, but I have gotten more conversion requests for this coming tournament than I think the last two years combined. It has been... Uh, seriously, I'm looking at like 70 
emails already. I had to answer, would this be acceptable? Would this be acceptable? And a lot of the players are citing, I, I would buy the model if I could find it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I, so I have a feeling this could be the same situation where, yeah, I'll buy full grown because I want to use them as a regular demon prince until the real worlds come out. And then there's going to be like three people are going to get it. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah, I definitely think it's a supply chain issue because I think GW was so focused on making the NIDs that they didn't focus on producing much of anything else. And plus, the they're also doing the, the epic stuff, making all that into plastic, which, yes, there's a plastic Dorito Dreadnought. <sighs> Battleship Dreadnought. But no, it's, it's definitely going to be a supply chain issue for a while of hey this is standing in for this it's on the right base it's a little short but it'll be okay yeah so there's gonna be a lot of there's been a lot of that nothing that came up i want to a couple of folks have brought to my attention and of course yeah of course we talked about that and then when i did editing for the episode i went we didn't talk about this but um so year after year we, we last week or was it two weeks ago now we talked about the world championships but there's also the american team championships and people kind of well how is it the championships it's just a one event every year that everybody goes to not anymore yes folks the atc has created their own team circuit here in the u.s let me tell you more the first one is november 4th and 5th and it's going to be in topeka kansas uh, next event will be February 3rd and 4th in Carthage, North Carolina. Third event will be in mid-April in Orlando, Florida. And then the winners from those particular events are going to do a similar uh, golden ticket type situation. Get uh, Go to the championships that we all know right outside Chattanooga. The format's going to stay the same, 40K. It's a five-player uh, per team event. No more than 32 uh, teams are going to be allowed into the uh, um in a particular event, so get in there. If you want to get in on this, you got to get on that quick and get your friends all into play. And the regular rules are also going to be in place, so the one codex per team type situation there. This is very exciting. Um, there's been a lot of talk now over the last two weeks since WTC wrapped up. Now that the players are allowed to talk about their experiences, then maybe team play is the way to go to mitigate some of the imbalances in codices. Yep. And we will touch on an example of that in our upcoming events that we'll chat about here in a second, which then at that point, Eric, if mm-hmm. we can dig Ray out of his work shaped hole, mm. we need three more people. That's true. We do need to. And it's something I, I look at it and that's something where the team, the team approach is very different. We've talked about this in multiple episodes already. And, but it, and it definitely shapes your play. But the other thing, especially, I'm trying to say this delicately. I'm just going to play it out there. I play better in the team format because I can sit there and go, okay, what do I need to do in this game as opposed to la-di-da, keep your, keep your head focused in between rounds, don't eat so much fast food, and, oh, I have no idea what this army does. And trying to remember what 32 armies do as opposed to there's a five or six common we know what we got and then as a team we go focus on this okay great and go mm-hmm. and knowing that um your goal may not be to win the game but try not to you know got to slow them down 
you know, or or yes, you have to smash him to get us, you know, full points for the round. Very different approach. Yeah, it would be the equivalent of if it was me, you, Ray, and then if we got him to come play Mark Whitaker, Don Hoosen, and then the sixth person is our coach. So the guy who does well, the captain. So at that point, the guy who would do the pairings for us, I believe, if it wasn't just one of the players. Yeah. So coaches, sometimes captains do the pairings. Sometimes the coach does the pairings. The other thing the coach does, he can't tell you, for example, you want walk up to, to Robert and go get, focus on the armagers. You know, you won't be able to do that. But what he can tell you is, Hey, remember at the beginning of the pairing, you said, I need you to get at least 14 points. I, I, I need 17 now. Uh, Eric is really screwing things up for us. Okay. Those yeah. are things yeah. you can do. And it's so it's like I roll up with my custodes and if the coach is doing the pairings, we look around and we go, all right, where can we shove Robert to get a 20 zero? Or if there's no good matchup for me, where can we shove Robert to get like an 11 nine? Like that differential scoring. Yeah, so take a perspective. We're going to talk about this in there when we get to our individual events. Eldari are still ridiculously unbalanced. Um, oh, I, I did a little, did a little number crunching for this episode, and it was so depressing. I just, I don't know if I want to bring it up. But anyway, every team in every team format right now has an Eldari army. So mm-hmm. now the expectation is, well, everybody's got the Uber Boogeyman. If you don't get twenty points, you clearly have done something wrong with that army. And one of the armies that does well against Eldari is Necrons. And then we say, well, Necrons, yeah, you're right. In a singles event, Necrons may have a tough time winning five, six, seven, eight games, but they're real good against Eldari. So that's that matchup where if I can make sure your Eldari army only gets 10 or 12 points, that means that Custodes versus Chaos Space Marines matchup means a hell of a lot more than it did before. So, mm-hmm. Which, on top of big events we can cover this week. I actually did come in third at a tournament on Saturday with custodians. Oh, awesome. I forgot to ask you about that. Yep. I believe it or not, I lost to chaos space Marines. <laughs> I just blurted that. I didn't mean anything by that. I got my butt kicked by a thousand suns on Friday night for our league game, but I've never, I haven't played a thousand suns. I think the last time I played a thousand suns was against Ray. I think that was back in seventh edition. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> That's a lot of dust. <laughs> A lot of dust. All was dust. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, it's, I made, oh, God, made a ton of stupid mistakes. So it's just one of those games where I'm like, okay. Um, but I learned a lot. So now I'm like taking, taking some steps back and going through, okay, here are all the screw-ups I did. Can't wait to work on those further. So, But, yeah, we can cover that towards the end of the episode because that's not as uh, important as chatting about what's... <laughs> I don't want to go and put too much BST <laughs> to talk about that game again. Greg, I had a lot of fun, but oh man, I got crushed. <laughs> yeah. The To touch on my game with Chaos Space Marines, which by the way, I played Dawn round one on that day. Uh, I, I want you to bet, Eric, who wins? Ten Custodians or Mortarian, a Defiler, two Plague Burst Crawlers, and one other vehicle <laughs> will be named later the way you said it i'm going to assume the custodian but the mortarian should be able to kill the custodian. <laughs> we, yes we will touch on that here in a second 
But the the game with Chaos Space Marines, I lost seventy seven to eighty seven. It was close. And it was a very close game because of the fact that it was the classic kill one, hold one, hold more, kill one, kill more. Yeah, that's what I played on Friday. Yep. And <laughs> I found the one thing that that custodies can't go into very well, and that's a ten man brick of possessed. <laughs> Ooh. Do you have a master possessions in there too? Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> so yeah, it, that was a very fun game. I had fun playing Will, and then yeah, I proceeded to get thrown into World Eaters next game. And I'm sorry, Tom. I'm sorry, but Angron failed to kill a Cleus, and he failed two charges. <laughs> oh, oh. Blood Nazi was not on his side there. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And that game, my act, my Alors Terminator is with axes, so hitting on threes with four attacks each, wiped out a unit of flesh hounds and a unit of berserkers with a master of executions attached to it, without losing a model. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh well. Okay. Fight first stratagem is silly. <laughs> if you have something to hit with, yes. That's one of the problems when I look at my army. I was like, oh, I can give them fight first so they can hit you with the wet noodle and then you can kill me. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was one experience I was still finding is what, what actually in my codex could kill anything? I'm not really sure. So, I mean, your taloses can melt my knights. <laughs> Yeah, if I do great against vehicleless, and then I, it, but if I don't get, um, yeah, it's two games in a row now against infantry based armies. I'm like, nothing's dying. This is weird. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then everything's yeah, anti vehicle. I, is there a codex out there that has anti monster something? <laughs> <laughs> not so, yet. Yeah, not yet. So that's where I'm like, oh. So yeah, it just seems like everything I shoot at, it was like, it doesn't matter what I showed at it. If it's two wound monster, a two wound model, I shoot everything at it, it'll have one wound left. If it has 17 wounds, I shoot everything at it, it will have one wound left. I'm like, stop! Why does yep. anything die? <laughs> so yes, to, to just swerve back to when I played Dawn, it was in fact six custodians left with a shield captain after two and a half rounds of combat. <laughs> As he's got to be like beside himself at this point. <laughs> oh, it was, it was just dumb. Like it was a really wonky charge into Mortarian. Like my guys were strung out in like this S shape between the Defiler, Plague Burst Crawler, Mortarian. And yeah, I made them fight first. It nerfed the Defiler. It basically didn't do anything to the Plague Burst. And then Mortarian took a big chunk of damage. And then he killed a single Custodian. <laughs> oh. like, like, it was just bad. I was expecting to lose. <laughs> and and then I pull it out something like 82 to 67 or something. Wow. But enough about our silly little fun local games as yeah. much as I love playing Custodian talking about those we got some bigger fish to talk about. 
Indeed. Where's our first event? Well, speaking of big bugs that always try to kill you, we're going to start down in Australia <laughs> at the TNA Open. Well played, sir. <laughs> yep, we're just go all the way around the coast. So the top five are something like this. We have David Truman with Custodes. Fourth place is Matt Falzon with Thousand Sons. Third place is Luke Pierce with Chaos Demons. And then second place is Michael Bantes. That is a really hard name to say. Uh, in first place, we have Brody Middleton with Eldar. So yes, first and second place are both Eldar. Unfortunately, that'll be a kind of a recurring theme tonight, won't it? So. Mm -hmm. But the overall amount of players that was there, um, they say 100. There was no number of tickets. But yes, it does look like there was, in fact, 100 players that signed up for this event. Oh my goodness. Well, nice to see the bigger events, especially down south in Land of Oz. Uh, get them because one of the things when I especially listen to some of the other podcasts about talking about the Australian meta, we just don't realize how big that country is, and things are not close to each other. They are definitely very independent, much like kind of like here in the United States. You know, the difference between a Southern California meta and the Texas meta is is pretty huge. Mm -hmm. Long distances between each other. Yep, one half of the country can be playing knights and vehicles and all this other stuff and then the other half is oh yeah no we play 120 boys <laughs> so very cool what's our next event well we're coming back home but we decided to go wrestle an alligator down in florida at the grand onslaught six and this one had 46 players and the top five were something like this. We have Tyler Sweeting with Custodes. In fourth place, we have Daniel Kelly with Necrons. Third place is Garrett Wilhelm with Yanari. And second place is Keenan Hicks with Yanari. And then first place is Alec Huffman coming in with Chaos Space Marines. That kind of out of the blue. Where Chaos Space Marines come from? Uh, I mean... Mark of Zinch and Mark of Nurgle, I guess. I guess. Interesting that there was even just Eldari, that there were two Inari lists in the second and third there as well. So the thing that gets me about this Chaos Space Marine list, mm -hmm. there is two Land Raiders. What? Two. Who? They're both Mark of Nurgle. Seen... <laughs> I haven't seen that since 6th edition. So... Honestly, I think his in yes, the Nash. Oh, they're Cipher. Um, so Slanesh, Slanesh, Undivided, Nurgle, 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 Nurgle. Hey, look, Slanesh and Undivided and Undivided. So that matters for their dark packs, which um, came up a lot in my game. Because dark packs are stupid. <laughs> you probably either get devastating wounds or sustained one. Is that what that was? Yeah, something like that. But it's also you pair that with the general mark bonus, where it's a chaos undivided gets to reroll ones, and then you use a stratagem on it. And it turns into full rerolls. Nice. 
whereas Nurgle has exploding fives instead of sixes. Now I understand the power. Okay. I remember yeah. seeing somebody trying to explain it to me, and I'm sure it was very interesting. It was just the person was trying to explain it to me while I was playing another my game, and I was kind of like going, read the room, go away. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. uh, okay, this makes a little more sense. Yeah. But yes, definitely congratulations to Alec beating out uh, Yanari for the top spot. It was only five rounds. So he he did, in fact, have to play... He had to play Garrett, well, Garrett in round four. So he did have to go someone that was at the top of the pile there. So yeah, he just ended up scoring more points than Keenan. Nice. And now we get to the big fish in the room. Yep, the big fish room, otherwise known as the Nova Open. A uh, little trivia, what does Nova stand for? Actually, Northern Virginia. It's actually started in uh, somebody's backyard. As though the very first Nova Open was actually a outdoor tournament. So uh, if you have uh, grandeurs of running a tournament someday, it's okay to start small. Uh, and it is a monument. It, the, when I say pageantry, this is the kind of differences between a GT and a super major. There's so much going on. The And it's one of those big, and they're not the only ones, but this is the first time I saw one was, was Nova. This the upscale when it comes to painting, when it comes to armies, and then getting all those people into one place, and then multiple game systems. It's It's just a really awesome thing to see. Back to the 40K portion of this. So for those of you who are not familiar, Nova's the uh, originator of the pod system that we see in the US Opens with Games Workshop. So the way this worked uh, specifically is uh, games one through four are kind of qualifying. So see how you did. And then games five through eight are within your pod. So what that means is that if you went three and one on the first four games, your next four games are going to be against other players that also went three and one. So the idea is that your competition is going to be pretty stiff. You're not going to get somebody, you know, these wide troughs of people who may have won their last game and then bounce back up. But it also gives you, if you went two and two, when you're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I wanted to happen this weekend. Round five, you start over and you have your opportunity to go four and zero oh and win your bracket and be a bracket champion, which they actually give out separate awards for every bracket, even the lowest ranking bracket. And, um, which is kind of cool. It really helps uh, those guys in the mid-table obscurity kind of have something to play for. The top bracket's a little different in what they did is they took the top 32 players and they had them play against each other. They were paired within each other for rounds five and six. And then for rounds seven and eight, they took the top four players from that. And they, uh, so round seven, they had the top four players play each other. And then round eight, the winners from round seven played each other for the championship. So it's sort of a bracketing meets top cut towards the end. If you don't quite see it in best case, uh, best coast, I can talk best coast pairings. It's a little hard to follow, but uh, Robert and I were able to cipher it before uh, coming on the air. So, yeah. So to use an example of how that qualifying and then bracketing works, we'll take Stephen Crawley's score. His first four rounds were literally a perfect score. He had a perfect 400 going into this 
bracket, this round five scenario. So he was the top seed of the top bracket. And then, yep. And then from there, got a high score, high score, high score. And then in the last round is when he lost it. So yes, Stephen Crawley technically went seven and one, but that means he was playing in the top dogs area, which is something that if you go to Nova or a U.S. Open Series kind of event, is kind of a saving grace because you would have someone like me and Eric where, okay, we only want to go three and three at a six round event because we want to be average. We want to have fun. We want to get a little better. And four and two is our optimal. Like, yeah, we had a good weekend or even five and one. If we get lucky, <laughs> then you're wrong. We go six to zero, but yeah, <laughs> I just know it's not realistic. So just oh, yeah, no yeah. going six and zero is like, uh, I swear I have a number less than four on my dice. <laughs> but so if we go like, oh, yeah, no, we're I'm one and two. I'm one and two. Hey, I'm two and one. It means that I won't end up in the same pod as like Eric and Ray if we went unless I lose my next game and they both win theirs. Even so, you know, it's something you, you could be you top of your pod. So that's that's one of the hard things is, oh, wow, I went 4-0 on day one, and then you go 0-4 on day two. And somebody goes like, well, wow, they only went 4-4. Four four. They're kind of an average player. Says, well, no, their four losses came against the some of the top players of the tournament that were mm-hmm. there. So it's a little different than somebody who went 2-2 two and two in day one and 2-2 two and two in day two. They both went 4-4, four and four, but got there very different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's where you have to separate the mentality of overall versus where you finish in your part of the pack. Yeah. But from there, we will cover the almost top bubble guy and then yeah. the rest of the top bubble. <laughs> so we'll pick up the action uh, at round five. So rounds one, two, and three were on Friday. Rounds of uh, uh, three and four. Uh, Excuse me, one, two, and three were on Friday. Round four started off on Saturday, and this is where they broke it up. So we're going to start in bracket one on round five, and some notable names here. So we mentioned Steve Crawley uh, wins his first game against Kyle Tra- uh, Traya. Traya. Trey. Yeah, okay. Traya. Yeah. Traya. Sorry about that, Kyle. Uh, 9385. Uh, Ted Williamson beats Pierre Daze. Uh, 9780. Thomas Ogden uh, easily wins his game 100 to 68 over Ian Jenkins. Uh, Sean Reynolds wins his game 85-67 over Riley Morris. Zach Point won by a point, uh, 81-80 over Jack Rosen. Will that point become significant later on? Foreshadowing. Check it out. Brad Chester, uh, newly uh, on the circuit, uh, since being off of Art of War, uh, has an easy win at 100-25. Sorry about that, Mark. And um, other key members to talk about TJ Lanigan, uh, one of the few chaos players. He's actually playing Thousand Sons at this event. Easily wins uh, 88 to, ooh, I think the back was a lot closer than I thought. 88 to 60, eight, eight, 88 to 86 is what I'm trying to say against Justin Cook. And Justin Cook is one of those, another history makers. He is the originator of what's called the Pacific Rim list, and he nearly won Nova. With that list, he's always been an innovator. For those of you who don't know, back in the wild, crazy days of 6th edition where you could take like anything, 
he took the adamantium lance formation and a tau formation that had nothing but uh, riptides in it. So he had three knights and two riptides. That was his whole army. You want big stompy robots. You got it. <laughs> you got it. You got everything you needed there. Other men, a person talked about, if you had asked me to pick a winner for the event, it would have been this guy, Matt Shuckman. Uh, he is a faction specialist, plays for Art of War. He is an Eldari player, has always done well. Nova has always been his event, but he's always come so close. I thought this might be the year that he'd break through. Uh, starts off strong, beating uh, Lee Bradley 100 to 50. And uh, last but not least, Mark Hurdle wins uh, with Death Watch 87-71. David Adelman winning 68-54 over Ken Knox, another tournament veteran. So set us up for round six. Round six has a little bit different feel. Same players. So all the players we were talking about there are going to be paired against each other again. Sean Reynolds going against uh, longtime veteran Kurt Klaus, another veteran of Nova Open. This one, not that close, 100 to 51. Ted Williamson uh, takes out J.C. Watts at 80 to 55. But Chuckman takes a short work out of Preston Soden. Southen. Sorry, I think Preston. it's so. I think it's Soden. Okay. Either way, it's still 80 to 20. So a uh, big win for Matt Chuckman. Uh, Samuel Pope takes out Connor Loeb at 76-54. Stephen Crawley 96-41 win over Brian Jones. Zach Point uh, another. Tight game, 73 to 69 over David Adelman. Uh, David TJ Adelman, uh, yeah. Landigan. Yeah, David Adelman. TJ Landigan, by the way, uh, winning by a point over Thomas Ogden, 66 65. Also, would be very significant as the things progress. Uh, Death Watch are supposed to be designed to kill Xenos. Somebody forgot to tell Brad Chester that as he beat Mark Hurdle's Death Watch 78 to 43. And as I go through other notable games from that round, that's about it at this point. So that sets us up for our top cut. And a couple of key players made the cut. Others just missed it. This is me pausing as the computer loads. So your top cut looks like this, Zach Point, Stephen Crawley, Sean Reynolds, TJ Lanigan. Just missing the cut, Matt Shuckman, as well as Brad Chester. So, uh, so look at the top cut. Opening round, Zach Point versus Sean Reynolds. Zach was able to take that 82 to 80. So again, I think he's, his margin of victory in those three games is uh, three, eight points over three games, but wins a win. And, and then uh, we have the, the utter trouncing yeah. with Stephen Crawley over TJ Lanigan. I don't know if his dice just decided to be D3s that day, but wow. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, um, but um, yeah, 100 to 14. So uh, I feel terrible. I feel bad for that. So it leads up to our, our final. So the semi, the uh, consolation game, TJ Lanigan did get a little more points, but was unable to stop Sean Reynolds. Sean whipping out a 97-65 win. But for the, all the marbles, it was Zach Point versus Stephen Crawley. Zach Point pulls it off at 66 to 53 win over Juice. So, um, hey, Pretty exciting stuff. Other notables there. Matt Chuckman did get a final win, uh, was able to win his round seven game, and then beat Brad Chester in round eight, 84-60. So there you go. Uh, your top five. And this gets a little flooded now with all some of the fluctuations here. But uh, your top five looks like this. Matt Chuckman coming in fifth, and which is really hard to see because Matt shows that he was undefeated. He was 8-0 on the weekend but uh, could not get into that top slot, therefore was denied a chance to win the championship. Uh, fourth place, TJ Lanigan, 
uh, third place, Stephen Crawley after losing the finals. Sean Reynolds uh, squeaking just past uh, Crawley there for second place. And Zach Point is your champion at 8-0 with Aldari. Now, I do want to point on this. If you go through the entire top 10, six of them are Eldar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do not envy Games Workshop. I don't know how you're going to balance this at this point. Because there, there are bigger issues at hand. And we'll get into that when we get to mid-table obscurity. It... I don't know what levers you can pull at this point to really fix all this without ruining gameplay. I mean, really, it really comes down to it. So, Mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely going to be a lingering issue because I, if I vaguely remember the the release schedule, Eldar was not slotted for this first half of the release schedule. I think correct. Yeah, I just recently reviewed it. It's uh, so after Space Marines, we're going to be getting either. Uh, Necrons or Adbeck. One of those two will be next before the Christmas holiday. And then in the next Christmas holiday, I believe it is Chaos Space Marines. I think Dark Angels. I know it's one of the Space Marine subchapters. But yeah, no Eldar. There was like almost no Xenos on the on the horizon. I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know towards the end of this first half, it was the same kind of thing that happened where it was like, Here's Custodes, Tau, and Orcs, all right at the end. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But, um, well, let's get into it now. When I was doing some research for this, give you an idea, only one faction since the start of 10th edition has a winning record against Aldari. Any idea what it is? I mean, you said Necrons earlier. I was wrong. Guess which one? Gene Sealer Cult. Yeah, and that's one of the other ones being targeted because we're having a high win rate. So that's very concerning when the only army that's able to top the, the number one problem gets nerfed as well. So what does that look like? Uh, then I thought, okay, when I was doing this experiment for Mid-Table Obscurity, and for those of you who are new to this, we haven't done it in a while because we wanted to get some data for 10th edition. We wanted to, everybody talks about the top level meta who are the top you know performers in the meta well 68 percent of the players who go to tournaments go three and two or two and three so what are the most popular armies that we're seeing in in that level that go three and two and two and three my assumption would be if you nerf eldari it doesn't help the bottom five armies because they never play each other because you know they're never on the top table so they'll never touch each other that proved wrong. So there is, there are quite a few games that Votan play into Aldari. Uh, bad news is uh, the Votan are, are are only winning eighteen percent of the time. So mm-hmm. basically, if walk up to the table, if you're if the Aldari player rolls a one, <laughs> Votan win, yay! That, that's kind of what that equates to. But, yeah, it's it's definitely um, those bottom five armies are struggling to even get to a two and three record or three and two they'll be if they are sitting there running into eldar round one and they run into another eldar that lost 
Like if that trend continues, people are going to show up and go, oh yeah, no, I went own five. Why? Well, because I ran into four Eldar and then some other guy. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, yes, there's, you can turn that around. I freely admit it. You know, when my best performance at LVO was, I'm going to build a list that counters Iron Hands. That's good. Everybody's bringing Iron Hands. That that was the myth. Well, guess what? I played Iron Hands four times that weekend. I went four and two. Did great. Um, who did I lose to? Demons. I was like, who brought a demon list? What the hell? Um, so I haven't figured out how to play Eldari yet. And um, hopefully I won't have to until after the data slate. Uh, as we mentioned, okay, we're going to be charting the armies that do three and two and two and three. Clearly, Eldari are doing so much better than that. If I'm in the mid table, I don't have to worry about it. That was my assumption as well. And the first statistics show to it. More Eldari players finish above three wins than they do below. So the mm -hmm. average player get, is going at least four or five, four wins or five wins. However, everyone else is like going, huh, I got elves. <laughs> I think I'll try them. So they are still now have become the most popular army on the mid tables as well. So if you haven't figured out how to win with them, um, you might want to readjust your list before the data slide comes out. In the meantime, yeah, if you think you can dodge the menace, it's not going to happen. It's a, It permeated down to all levels of the game. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely something that also happened back in 9th edition when Custodes were shortly on the top of the game because of the fact that it was just, yeah, no, here's our rules. We're crazy durable. Whatever. And Custodes were running around with a really high win rate for all of like a month or two. That kind of thing where everyone gets on that bandwagon. They all play it for saturates the field. So then you get people who are like, God dang it, I bought Custodes, so I should have won my first two games. And then they run into some guy that is like, bro, I'm just here for beer and pretzels. <laughs> yeah. So I forgot somebody mentioned it this other day. Oh, my buddy bought Eldari, and everybody was like, Ugh. And then he, he, they brought all Aspect Warriors, <laughs> and none of them being Shadow Spectres, and, and no Fire Prisms, and he did terrible. So I, I'm curious to see what else is in that codex that you can pull out at this point. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, because it's, again, it's much more than just nerfing the, the top army. There's mm -hmm. some armies that are, wow, they're really struggling, so... Yeah, because the, the argument always comes up if you nerf the top the top players into the dirt, the people who are just below that are going to float up to the top because they don't have anyone holding them down now. Indeed. And, uh, so, as I mentioned, they have quite a few uh, top armies are still floating around. Those top armies are also um, starting to worked the way into the mid tables. So rounding out the rest of the top five. So Eldari is still your most popular army among the three and two and two and three fans. Number two, Custodes. Uh, I think it's one of those, not only is it an easy army to play, but um, easy to transport. You only need a few models and you're, you're ready to go. Yeah. Even if I'm uh, biased, <laughs> you're biased. Well, your bias is going to continue. Um, hmm. How many models? 20, 30. That's still too many to paint. That's why the number three choice, 
April nights. <laughs> nights are still, they're definitely what you call your, your prototypical gatekeeper list. You need to be able to beat Knights to get to the championship. They may not make it to the championship, but they're going to stand in your way. And uh, they still remain that problem if you're going to be playing in the mid-tables. Number four is Necrons. And then number five, just because, you know, sheer popularity, they are the poster boys of 40K. Space Marines still up there. So, uh, and they're, they're fairly competitive still. So probably another gatekeeper list that you need to be aware of. Yep. Definitely overall, the the spread of the field is going to be something that you'll need to be aware of and watch for. Where, okay, if you end up playing Eldar, then cool, you're probably going to be in for a rough time. As long as your opponent is not a jerk, you'll be fine. So... So there we are. So those are the mid, if you're focusing on the mid tables, be prepared for those five armies. And with that, we've, we're adding something new to the show. Bum, ran bum, by, yeah, ran by Robert and Ray, and they kind of went, sounds cool. So let me run it out. One of the things we were pretty frustrated with, and you probably heard it in my voice in the last few episodes, is um, the IDC rankings. I know they are still the uh, the measuring stick for who is the top player over a season. The problem is they are still working over calendar year. They're not updating it. So we've had, uh, in the previous uh, years, we've had season after season between Nachmund and I can't remember what the other seasons were called off the top of my head as they kept coming up with new missions and it didn't matter. <laughs> they just kind of carried it over and then they're doing the same thing now. Uh, if you want a ton of games in ninth edition and decide to take a break from 10th edition until things get sorted out, that's okay. You're still in first place. Um, so I was going to sit down and try and reverse engineer all the games out of that were ninth edition. So we just knew exactly who the top player is in 10th edition. And, um, well, I'm not an accounting major. I'm good with spreadsheets, but I just came to the conclusion, maybe it's time to come up with our own ranking system if I'm going to do all this work. So that's what we did. So here's my dream. The dream is that we come up with this ranking system season by season. And then at the end of the season, we'll know who the top 16 players are. We would invite them to an invitational tournament put on by the podcast. And they would duke it out for who is the champion of the season. Do I see that happening uh, this year? Probably not. But at least we can dream and we get a nice start. So we've always said that if there's any professional sport that most mimics Warhammer, that'd be auto racing. So I stole the system from NASCAR. So what that means is if you win, you're in. So if you win a major or super major tournament, so a tournament with more than 54 players, you get into the tournament. After that, it's based off a point system. So first place being worth nine points, second place six, third place fourth, fifth place three, uh, fifth place two, and then sixth place one point. That helps kind of differentiate some things. And I stole that from Formula One for those who are into cars. So the top players, so that means you, uh, if, you, if you're in the top 16, you can point your way in by getting lots of seconds and thirds. But as soon as somebody gets a win, they jump ahead of you. So you could have more points, but if somebody has more wins, they get ahead of you. So we want winners and show how things work. Also good, so something to talk about. So for the first time, for the inaugural time, you ready, Robert? I guess I will be. The Exterminatus 
standings as we speak now. This is based off of all games. We went all the way back to uh, the release of 10th edition. So these are only 10th edition super majors and majors. Your top five actually looks something like this. There is a gargantuan tie for fifth place. As a whole bunch of players are sitting on one win and uh, but have not played in and not placed in any other event. So your top four, uh, Brett Simon with 10 points. Matthew Burgoon with 15 points, each of them with one win. And then in top place, we have two players who have already amassed two major or super major wins. Tim Dietless of Team Canada and Ben Jurek, or sometimes known as Blair Ben McJurek of Scotland, both sitting with two wins and 18 points. So obviously I've not added in this weekend's action. I'll be sure to add that in and update it during the week. And we'll go over this week after week. It's pretty easy to keep track of. And as we get closer to the end of this particular season, we will uh, crown a champion. Yeah, it, this kind of thing is definitely more fun for us folks at home. Because, yeah, when you look at the ITC rankings, you go Manny Chima with 1,148.5 points. That is a daunting number. But you know what sounds really fun and really good to chase after? Oh, hey. That guy only has 10 points at the start of the season, but he hasn't won a major yet. So if you win a major, sure, you have less points. But for us generations that didn't exactly watch uh, vehicle racing and understand their positioning, think of it as Mario Party. Stars beat out coins. You can have more coins, but if you have more stars, you'll automatically be winning. There we are. We'll keep you guys updated, and it'll be, uh, we'll add a commercial that explains this uh, week after week, so you don't have to hear me ramble on about this, but um, I'm kind of excited. Um, also, with the smaller amount of points, there's a lot more flexibility, I think, and also um, ability for some players to catch up, you know, if they may have missed. Also, if you're hearing this, you're like, I've not been to a major yet. How do I get on this? Book your ticket now. There's still quite a few majors left before the end of the year and um, grab some points and be able to chance to get in. Yep. And we will definitely keep all of you listeners posted, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, direct social contact, I don't know, or heck, even a letter about if things actually take off the ground for this kind of invitational idea, then yeah, you guys will most likely be the first to know. Because this is definitely something that is really good for the community because you could reference something like Charity Hammer that is also going on here fairly soon that they invite all of their buddies and the top players for this really crazy round robin kind of event at Colin Sherman's house. <laughs> nice. So it's something we're looking at as well. So make it a charity event, perhaps, as a fundraiser. We're just haven't quite gotten that far right now. Let's, let's, let's have some fun. Let's talk about Let's break it out. Who are the top players right now, just in 10th edition, and um, track how the players are doing. And uh, as we get closer to this, let's make this reality, but uh, one step at a time. So, Baby steps, we don't do leaps. That's right. <laughs> So with that, anything else to add? Did we miss anything today, Robert? The random clicking noises that are coming from my computer because of the fact that I'm looking at the Tyranid pre-orders right now. 
<laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. This stuff does look really, really cool. I'm rather jealous. This is the yep. other day. I was like, okay, yeah. what do I need to buy for my army? I was like, oh, yeah, there isn't anything to buy. Great. Awesome. <laughs> yep, because as soon as you get past Tyranid Warriors and Ravener Broods, it's starter sets and then nothing. <laughs> oh. Literally, no Carnifexes, no Harvestfexes, no Trigon Moloch kits, no Broodlords, no Toxicreens. Ah, I'm glad I got my bugs off of you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad they were going to see some play, so that's really cool. Yeah, the other thing about Australia, too, is I was, we were reading the packet for um, Nova, and it's like they said, the, the terrain was generously donated by Games Workshop. So, I'm, did first of all, Nova had a massive terrain collection. Did it all get replaced by Games Workshop stuff? And number two, is that where all went? Because you can't buy it on the website. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> there are definitely a couple kits on there that. Um, I was like, yeah, all right, I might, I might spring for a few bucks on that. Nope, not on the website. So I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, that's why I've continuously been browsing at third-party sites for terrain going, <laughs> yay, more MDF. Yeah. I have to say the yeah, Goonhammer had their tournament not that long ago, and I was looking at their terrain, and they did a nice review of the company that provided their MDF. I was like, Stuff's not half bad, so I don't know, but I'm also enjoying uh, the stuff we're building, so it's one step at a time. Yep, but other than that, no, there ain't much going on with me besides the fact that I am also working on terrain. That is true. All right, then let's um call it a show here. Thank you very much for listening. Once again, my name's Eric, I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Exterminatus Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament and just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend 
that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll perils of the warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play indeed so if you're looking for fanciful drinks go ahead and grab the lovecraft cocktails by the madmen at reddukegames.com the makers of the necro nom nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.